Well, the message this morning is uh, our transition is coming. It's amazing that God has put this morning together as he has to realize things were going to be said that's in direct relationship to the message. That's just how God works. Our transition is coming, taken from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I'll read it, starting in verse 19. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his, at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and also uh, was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life, you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able. And that, one, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them that they would not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Amen. Death is a topic we rather not talk about, right? This topic would not come up in a party or family gathering, usually. But I believe we think about it from time to time. It's usually coupled with fear, like, I don't want to think about that. Let's think about something else. 
Well, I'm 61 years old now. I'm no, young, I'm no longer a young man. Many of you didn't know this, but uh, about a month ago, I went to emergency. Uh, I was feeling, I thought, uh, chest pains. And I went to work, and I did my first job, and I, I was feeling this, these pains, and I was calling, I called Brandon, my big boss, Brandon Savage. I told Brandon and I was, what, what was going on, he said, man, I wouldn't mess around with that if I were you. I would go get that check in, checked out. I would go to emergency. They, they would take you right away if you go in there saying you have chest pains. So I really didn't want to do it, but I said, okay, okay, I'll go ahead and do it. So I called Donna, and I went home, and she drove me to uh, Christ Hospital. And uh, they took me in right away. Long story short, everything's fine. Um, what, was, what happened was it was uh, uh, muscle cramps. <laughs> so uh, it, took me, it took about a total of uh, two and a half hours for the whole ordeal to take place. Yeah, so praise God for that. Um, but you look at our, you look, you look at our city with the random shootings that are taking place and uh, shootings on the expressway. You look at uh, the threats that are going, what are going, what's going around the world with uh, Al Qaeda and I'm hearing that North Korea is uh, uh, having nuclear uh, long-range missile, missiles, they're shooting those up, testing those. Maybe they're pointing their missiles towards us, maybe, one day. I don't know. It looks kind of, seems kind of bleak. You know, coupled with, also about a month ago, uh, Pastor Albright did have a heart attack. 100% uh, blockage in one artery. And uh, man, we just, we just saw him that Saturday when they were with uh, Kira, uh, Pastor and Karen's uh, 50th wedding anniversary. He looked fine. But a couple of days later, he went in with a heart attack. Um, and they said, had he gotten there a little later, they, they might have lost him. Earlier this year, Karen had a heart attack. And praise God, she's, she's here. And just this past week, my, my aunt in Detroit passed away. So I plan to go to Detroit uh, after the service to attend the funeral, which is going to be tomorrow. But my, my first experience was with death uh, that I can remember was way back in August of 1963. My grandfather, my mom's dad, Grandpa died of a heart attack. And the experience was, uh, it was a very traumatic experience for, for me as a young boy and uh, the rest of my family. But as I look around and I see you guys, I see that you all are getting older too. <laughs> my thoughts of death aren't morbid, but I do think about death a lot now because I want to end my life well. Being, me being 61, I know, well, usually the average age is they say 70, maybe 80 if God gives grace, but I know my, my time is coming. I also understand that people die when they're babies, 
Death is a part of life. But I wonder, how do you feel about this reality? What are your thoughts about death? Do you think about it? Do you think about your death? Do you think about where you would be? Will you be in heaven? Or will you be in hell? What, what will it be like? Well, I'd like to talk about this with you this morning. So let's, uh, let's bow in prayer. Lord, you say in your word in Proverbs uh, 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. And I pray that uh, what's, being, what I, what's said today would be uh, of great encouragement to my church family. In your name we pray. I believe that uh, God wants us to not fear death. My hope is that this message would greatly encourage you as believers to really look forward to uh, that transition, to be with, with Jesus Christ forever. I know that you know, many of us don't want to die now because we may feel like you know, there's a lot of things I want to do. And death seems to be mysterious and kind of scary. It's pretty final. But I pray that this message would help us with that and make a smooth transition. And for those who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that this message would encourage you to accept Christ as Savior and Lord. For the believer, I pray that this message would uh, really inspire us to passionately share our faith to, do, to those who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior Lord so that they would escape, you know, hell. So my outline today, our transition is coming, is as follows. Number one, the providence of God. The providence of God, number one. Number two, Understanding what happens in the afterlife. Understanding what happens in the afterlife. Number three, the death of a believer in Jesus Christ. The death of a believer in Jesus Christ. Number four, the death of a non-believer. Someone who does not believe in Jesus Christ yet. Number five, lastly, an invitation to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, let's start off with number one, the providence of God. What does that mean? The doctrine of divine providence says that God has sovereign, complete rule over everything. Complete control. God has always had complete control over everything. Scripture says in Psalm 103, verse 19, the Lord God has established his throne in the heavens. And his sovereignty rules over all. God has complete control over the physical world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45 says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
God has complete control over the affairs of all nations. Psalm 66, 7 says, He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. God has complete control over human success and failure. Luke chapter 1, verse 52 says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. This doctrine is completely opposite of the idea that the universe is governed by chance, by chance or fate. Do you all remember the story, do you all remember the Willis family, the Willis family? Pastor Scott and his wife Janet, along with uh, six of their nine children, were traveling along uh, I-94 near Milwaukee, when all of a sudden, on an ordinary day, a piece of metal fell off, the tr fell off the truck that was in front of them. This happened so fast that all Pastor Scott could do was ride over it and hope for the best. But when he did that, that piece of metal hit the gas tank of, of their van, and immediately the gas tank exploded, and the van was engulfed in flames. Pastor Scott and Janet, along with one of their children, were able, were able to manage to get out of the van. They sustained burns, but they had to watch in horror as they saw their family van with five of their children burn up inside. Pastor Scott and Janet's uh, response was amazing. Pastor Scott said to his wife, this is the moment for which we uh, are prepared. Man, what a perspective. What a perspective to have. And you know, the whole world listened to that. That, that was covered through all the, the news. The whole world heard that. Later, Pastor Scott said, every morning we awake, we say, this is the morning this is one more day to prove the faithfulness of God. And every night we say, we are one day closer to seeing our children again. Man, what a testimony. Their, their testimony is the same as Job in chapter 1, Job chapter 1, verse 21, where it says, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But I would I'd imagine that the pain that they went through uh, was, was very hard. And I would imagine that even now, some 22 years later, the pain is still there. I don't think that they'll ever get over that, huh? That tragic event. But was this an accident, Chicagoland? Was this an accident? We say that the Willis's had a tragic accident. 
But was this not from God? Was this a providential happening? God is over all things. Look at the accuracy that took place in in order for this thing to take place, this, quote, accident. No, this providential happening from God. What if the truck drove faster or slower? What if uh, the piece that fell off the truck fell off a different lane? What if the Willis family left the house earlier? Or they drove faster or they drove slower? What if the mechanic of the trunking company noticed the faulty faulty piece and did something about it. They fixed it. What if, what if, what if, what if, right? Or if only, if only, if only, if only. If only I called 9-11 sooner. If only we have gone to the hospital a little sooner. If only I didn't go to that party with my friend, they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have gotten killed. If only my nephew Brandon didn't uh, be with friends this time last year away, maybe we would have still had him today. Our, my nephew died last year. He, was as, uh, he had problems with asthma, and uh, he was away. He, he, they, could, they couldn't get him in time, and so he died. If you and I can agree with scripture that God is over all things, God is sovereign and God loves us. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24 says this, Chicagoan, but let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who executes these things, declares the Lord. If we can do that, then our approach to life will be a lot different. Things don't happen by chance. Things happen because of God's providence. We may have a hard time believing that or accepting that, but the truth is God's providence handles all the good things in life that we love and you know, we, we appreciate that, but also God's providence covers the things that we don't like. The tragedies in our life, God's providence is there. Again, just like Job, he says, the Lord hath given and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what Job said. We need to grow to that point to say that, to realize that and say that ourselves. So accidents, bad health, dying from a random bullet in the streets of Chicago, God uses all these things to bring his children home. If we can trust God with all our hearts, Proverbs 3, 5, then we can have confidence and understand that God would take us home in his timetable. So we really should not fear. We really should not fear death. 
but we should have control over uh, our, our responsibilities and our responses to life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So what happens in life may seem random. The fact is God can choose a number of ways to take us, it's all God's sovereign providence. Remember back there in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve? Now we talked about that even today. Adam and Eve, God warned them to not eat of the forbidden fruit, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, that if they did eat it, they would surely die. And remember in Genesis chapter 3, that's exactly what they did. They ate of the forbidden, fr forbidden fruit, and just as God said, they died. So we can thank Adam and Eve for bringing death to our experience here. They didn't die right away, though, physically. But they did die immediately, spiritually. And it showed itself by them hiding themselves from God. Um, you know, the, the guilt, the sin was there. Physically, their bodies uh, went through a gradual decline of weakness and digression all the way to the grave. But look at the providence of God. Take a look at there as, we, as I go here to uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 through 24 where it says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out at the east of the Garden of Eden. He uh, stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. God's providence. God's providence. He's in control. He redeemed them. He saved them. He delivered them from eternal separation from God. How so? Had they eaten of that tree of life, they would have been stuck in that condition forever. Although they would not experience the finalities of death, but there will be no more, there will be no chance of redemption, no chance of heaven, no chance of having their relationship with Jesus right again. They would be, we'd be stuck there forever. So praise God that God did that. Amen? He had a redemptive plan for us. Although it, it seemed harsh that he booted them out of the garden. But he had a redemptive plan. Amen? You know, I read the book, One Minute After You Die, written by Pastor Erwin Lutzer. This book right here. 
I really encourage us to get this book and read it. It's a, it's a wonderful read. Uh, I found it hard to put it down. He's uh, very detailed about you know, some things here. And I really appreciate uh, his ministry there. One minute after you die, Pastor Erwin Luther, pastor of Moody Bible Institute. I learned that the most important word in the Old Testament that speaks of the afterlife is the Hebrew word, Hebrew word sheol, S-H-E-O-L, sheol. Pastor Luther explains that uh, some things, some facts about sheol that it's clear that in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament believed that to go to Sheol uh, was not only to go to the grave, but also to experience a conscious afterlife. People are not like animals where they die and so their existence, their existence ends. No, it, it's clear in scripture, uh, there's, it's, there is a clear distinction between the grave and where the body rests. And Sheol, where the spirit of the dead gather. Although, although the grave is usually used in a shallow earth or even above the earth, Sheol is always thought of as down under, somewhere, hollow, somewhere in the hollow parts of the earth. Isaiah uh, chapter 14, verse 9 says that when the king is overthrown, Sheol from beneath is excited over you and to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the nations from their throne. So people exist in Sheol and there is activity. What happens in the afterlife? There is some confusion about uh, you know, what happens after we die. Some believe that everyone sleeps until the final judgment. After judgment day, everyone will be sent to heaven or hell. Others believe that the moment we die, we will be instantly judged and sent to our eternal destinations. Then there's others who believe that when people die, their souls and spirits are sent to a temporary heaven or hell to await their final resurrection, their final judgment, and then their final eternal destination. Okay, well, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this? Well, for the believer, the Bible tells us that immediately after death, the believer's soul and spirit go directly to heaven. The non-believer goes directly to Hades. Jesus shows us in a parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Luke chapter 16, verse 23, in Hades, he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Luke chapter 23, verse 42 and 43, uh, where one of the two criminals who was being crucified with Jesus said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 43, and, and he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Chicagoland, I believe that word today 
is taken, should be taken literally. Jesus did not say, yesterday you'll be with me, or tomorrow. He said, today. Yeah, I looked up the Greek, the Greek meaning of today. The Greek meaning of today means now, present, hitherto, this day. So no, no chance of sleep there. But we will rest from all of our labors. Revelations chapter 14, verse 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. For now on, yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. So the believer's soul and spirit go to be with Jesus in heaven. Because our sins have been forgiven, and by receiving Jesus Christ as Savior, John 3, 16, and verse 18, and verse, also in verse 36, for the believer, death is a way separate from the body and at home with the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 54, also 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. Okay, so if, if the believer goes directly or immediately to be with Jesus after death, the physical, the physical body uh, stays in the grave, asleep. Even cremated or any abuse of the body that we can think of, it's still asleep. The body awaits our new body at the resurrection. Non-believers will experience unquenchable fire. Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, Mark chapter 9, verse 44 through 48. And torment, torment forever. Revelations 14, 10. But believers will receive glorified bodies. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. In heaven. To be with Jesus forever. Okay, well, what kind of bodies will we have as believers right now? What kind of bodies will we have right now? In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Luke chapter 16, verses 23 through 26, the rich man was completely aware of what was going on. He knew where he was at, and he was fully conscious immediately after death. Remember verse 23, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Hades is a Greek word that is used of the realm of the dead, referring to the world of departed spirits. The Old Testament uses the word sheol. They both translate to mean the same thing. Pastor Lutzer says in, in his book that there are hints in the Old Testament that sheol has different regions. Both the wicked and the righteous are said to be in sheol. Going back to Jesus' parable, the rich man could see, he could feel, he could hear, he was aware of his surroundings, 
And the rich man was concerned that his family members uh, would not come to the place that he was at. So he could think and he could still have memory as well. They all could be recognized. We all, they, all could have been, they all were recognized uh, in Hades, or where, where uh, the rich man was. The rich man, Lazarus, and uh, the father Abraham. Same thing was true when Jesus was transfigured. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. Moses and Elijah could be recognized. They talked with Jesus. Now, this was before their bodies were glorified and raptured to meet Jesus. They talked with him. So how is it that, how is that possible to have recognizable bodies before glorification? Well, it just might be that our concept of soul is too limited. <laughs> that our soul in the afterlife may have the same uh, functions as a body. Hmm. We have to stay tuned and see. <laughs> also, the rich man was not in hell, but Hades. The Bible makes it clear that no one is in hell today. Revelations 20, verse 14 says that someday Hades will be thrown into hell or the lake of fire, but that hasn't happened yet. Hades is not purgatory. Hades is not purgatory. Once a person is in Hades, there is no way of going to heaven from the place of torment in Hades. But the teachings of purgatory says that there is an exit. The belief is that after the soul is purified by the sufferings of purgatory, the soul goes to God. Purgatory may be defined as a temporary place where those who have died as penitents, meaning to feel sorry or sorrow for or regret for the wrongdoings that they've done. And after they've gone through a, a period of punishment, uh, that was their purification, and they would go to heaven from that point. The doctrine of purgatory is not in the Bible. It was accepted as tradition tradition in medieval times because of a misunderstanding of salvation. The belief was that nobody, or almost nobody, uh, was righteous enough to enter uh, right into heaven after death. So there must be a place where people could go to be purged from their sins to prepare them for heavenly perfection. So the so the purging could go on for a few years to millions of years. It depends on it depended on the level of righteousness you were able to get. And eventually it would end up so that the penitent person could go into heaven. This was all made up stuff, Chicagoland. Made up stuff. Man's imagination. This is not Bible-based. Thankfully, purgatory is unnecessary. Christ's righteousness credits us uh, believers of righteousness. We're, we're accredited of righteousness as believers. 
It says that in, 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 in Romans chapter 3 through chapter 8, if you care to look at that again. He accredits us as righteous. Amen, amen, amen. What will believers in Jesus Christ experience the moment we die? The Bible says in we'll have a permanent home in heaven. John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3 says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. So why should we fear death if we know that we have a place in heaven with Jesus Christ? Amen? The death of a believer in Jesus Christ. Imagine one day you get the, near, the news that you feared. The doctors look at you and they say, we've done all that we could. We got the report back and it is cancer. You do have cancer. And yes, it's stage four. I'm so sorry. So you process that. You tell your family, your friends, and you all cry. Then you go through the process of your funeral. And you also go through the torturous pains that cancer puts on our bodies. And then one day you die. Family members and friends will grieve over your loss. But you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, You'll find yourself in surroundings that uh, are beyond your imagination. Everything is completely different. But your, your family members and friends will bury you. But they can't bury you as a person. Our personhood, who we are, us, will not change. Our personalities stay the same. It survives the death of the body. Stephen said in, uh, to the Lord as he was being stoned over there in Acts chapter 7, verse 59, he said, receive my, receive, uh, receive my spirit. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He didn't say receive my body. We keep living. We transition without interruption. Based on Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, our personalities continue. Our personal knowledge continues. Memory, to name a few, continues. In heaven, we, as believers, will worship God. Revelations chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. In heaven, there will be, this is taken primarily from Revelations 21, there will be no more sea, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. No longer will there be any curse, no more pain, no temple. That's Revelations 21, 22. After the old earth disappears, there will no longer be any function for a temple because we'll be worshiping the Lord directly in heaven. The Lord Almighty 
and the lamb are its temple. No more moon, no more sun, no more night. God himself is the light of heaven. No more, no, no abomination. Revelations 21, verse 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter into heaven, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be there. Well, what about the death of a non-believer, someone who does not believe in Jesus Christ? What will that be like? What will they experience one minute after they die? Well, let's go back to the parable, the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus chapters, Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. The rich man, though he was very rich, having had all his heart's desire on earth, monetarily, he lived a very soft life. He lived a very privileged life. Like so many people, desire, and seek after today. But he did not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. He, he was not born again. He was not a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, Fernando Ortega has a song out that says, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. In Luke chapter 16, verse 23, it says that in Hades, he lifted up his eyes one minute after he died. The next thing he knew, he was, he was experiencing torment, torment. He was fully aware of it, and he felt it. This torment, torment in the Greek, says that this is torture, torture, severe, extreme physical, mental pain that he felt forever and ever and ever. It, ha it has no end. Unlike any pain that we experience here on earth, where we, we burn ourselves and it hurts for a little while, maybe there are some pains in our lives that will last up to 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years. But unlike being in Hades or the lake of fire, that pain is eternal. No ending in sight. No ending in sight. Amen? And it says that they will be judged. Revelations chapter 20, verse 13 through 15 says, And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This was the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This, again, will be forever, Chicagoland. The Bible says in Hebrews 6, 18, that it is impossible for God to lie. It will be a place of unquenchable fire. Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. Mark chapter 9, verse 44 through 46. It will be a place of experiencing outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, and a whole lot of other verses that I could share with you. And I believe God puts that there just to 
to just to make the point that what I'm telling you is absolute truth. Believe it and respond. Those who reject Jesus' offer of salvation, for you, you'll experience eternal fire, a place prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, verse 41. It's a place where the worm, where it says there, it's a place where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, Mark chapter 9, verse 48. The rich man in Luke 16 asked Abraham to have mercy on him. And he wanted Abraham to send Lazarus to him so that he could dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off his tongue because he was in agony in this flame. Did you hear that? In Hades, you can still reason. You can still think. You can still feel. You still have an awareness of yourself and who you are. In Hades, you'll have the desires, but Chicagoland in Hades, your desires will never ever be fulfilled. You'll just have those desires and they will not be fulfilled. The rich man wanted some relief from his physical pain. Request denied. Abraham told him that that request cannot be granted. See, because there's a great gulf fixed between you and me so that those of us who are in heaven can't go to you, and those of you all in Hades, you can't come to us. It's fixed forever. So the rich man and all those who are in Hades will be stuck there forever and ever and ever. And if you pay attention to the words lake of fire, being in torment, think of this. When we take a dip into Lake Michigan, or, or the ocean, or any body of water. We are, in fact, in the water. We can even go under the water. We are totally involved in the water. Every part of that water is touching our body. The same is true in the lake of fire. Those who will be in the lake of fire will be totally involved in that fire forever and ever and ever and ever. Again, you know, you put your finger, I wouldn't recommend us doing this, but you put your finger in some flames and, oh, it's an immediate reaction. But in hell, in Hades, in the lake of fire, your hand is stuck there forever and ever and ever and ever. The rich man will experience this pain and agony forever, realizing that, his, that he has members, five of his brothers, still there, that still thought like him, he passionately begged Father Abraham to send Lazarus to him so that, so that he could be, they could be saved. You know, same thing is true even with us even now, where it says here in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 520. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. With the same passion that the rich man, that the rich man had in Hades, it's too late there to have compassion, have his theology right in Hades there. 
we have the opportunity to right now have compassion enough to share our faith to those who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord right now. To warn people, this is, what we, this is why we do this, warn them that this place is actual place. You can, you can avoid that right now. This is something that God does not want you to experience. And this is the will of God for us to have a mind to share our faith to people all the time. Again, again, I want to reemphasize, the rich man can still feel passion and concern and memory, but in Hades, in the lake of fire, it will never be satisfied. Regret is what he'll experience forever. You're just stuck there forever. You know? So instead of knowing God in his life, you know, instead of not, have, not being interested in, in the things of God or, or going to church and not having, but not having a relationship with God, being nice without Christ, the message here is no. Have that relationship with Jesus Christ now. So Abraham tells uh, Lazarus, they have Moses and the prophets, let them, let them hear them. You know, but the rich man, you know, he said that, well, what if they don't listen to, the, you know, the prophets? And he says, if you send, if you send, the, uh, if you send uh, 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 Lazarus there, that they'll listen to someone that's, that came from the dead. And he says that, no, they won't, if they don't listen to the prophets, they're not going to listen to even the, one, even the one who came from the dead. And that really spoke to me that ample information has already been shared to us. The gospel has been preached everywhere around the world, and even today, in our presence. But people have to make that decision to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The message is out there, but people make that decision to receive Jesus Christ or not. Well, what about you? I can't assume that everybody in this church knows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I can't, I can't, I think we all do, but I can't make that assumption that everybody does know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So this brings us to the last point here, an invitation to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Jesus is very gracious and very loving, and he's knocking at your heart. He may be knocking at your heart in various ways. Maybe through life's situations and circumstances, he's knocking at your heart. Would you let me come in? Maybe he's knocking at your heart that I hear so many opinions, but what's really true? knocking at your heart? Are you feeling a sense of loneliness or a sense that something is missing inside? God has various ways to knock at our heart because he wants to come in. Let him come into your life. Why don't you open the door and receive Jesus Christ right now? Jesus says he loves you very, very much. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Scripture says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that uh, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He says the Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So I'd like for us to bow at this time. I'd like for us to bow our heads and close our eyes because this is a very intimate moment, I believe, uh, with God. The Bible says that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's John 14, verse 6. Nobody else can, be, can save you. Trust Jesus right now. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, And there... There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never asked Jesus Christ, the Lord, into your life. Do it right now. This is what Jesus wants you to do right now, to be born again, to have a, an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. How do I do that? Well, number one, admit that you are a sinner. Admit it. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Number two, be willing to turn from your sin. Repent. Repent. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Number three, believe that Jesus Christ died for you. There was a penalty for sin that had to be paid. Jesus took your place on the cross. He died for you and was buried and rose from the, from the dead, all for you. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Number four, through prayer, invite Jesus into your life to become your personal savior. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me help you pray this prayer. Say something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ shed his precious blood and died for my sin. I make the decision to turn from sin. I now invite you, Jesus Christ, to come into my heart and life as my personal Savior and Lord. Amen. Now, if you've done that, then see me after this message. Amen.